If you're a veteran or military spouse of an interstate startup or small business and feel like you're making it up as you go, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to The Transition, where we demystify the entrepreneur experience for veterans and military spouses who've already made or looking to make the transition from the military into entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Iron Mike Stedman, the voice of the bunker. I'm a Marine Corps veteran, social entrepreneur, and member of the Bunker Labs branding team. This week on The Transition, I'm joined by Army veteran and veteran residence alumni, Simon Carmarker, founder and CEO of RefundWiz, a smartphone, mobile, e-filing tax return app. His company also offers Moss Refund, an app designed specifically for the Spanish-speaking community. As a trained and certified tax specialist, Simon noticed a glaring gap in the number of tax specialists who could serve the non-English-speaking Latino community, many of whom wanted to pay taxes, but were nervous about the second and third order effects of doing so. After doing some market research, he realized that there are fewer than 10,000 trained and regulated Spanish-speaking tax preparers supporting 63 million Hispanic and Latino people in the United States. To solve this issue, Simon launched RefundWiz and branded it under Mass Refund to reach the Latino community. On the transition, he opens up about his struggles transitioning out of the military in the late 90s, including a short stint as a homeless veteran, catching the entrepreneurial bug a few years ago, and how he's managed to take RefundWiz to market after participating in countless incubator and accelerator programs similar to myself. Before you hear from Simon and I, be sure to subscribe to the Transition Newsletter at the link in the show notes. If there's a topic you'd like me to cover on the show or in the newsletter, shoot me an email at mike.stedman at bunkerlabs.org or message me directly on LinkedIn at Iron Mike Stedman. I'd also like to encourage you to check out my first book, Black Veteran Entrepreneur, Validate Your Business Model, Build Your Brand, and Step Into Greatness, available on Amazon and the link in the show notes as well. This episode of The Transition is brought to you by MetLife Foundation and their commitment to supporting veteran and military spouse entrepreneurs. In addition, MetLife Foundation also provides mentorship and financial health resources to veterans and military spouses transitioning into the workforce. As always, I hope you enjoyed today's show and that accelerates you on your own entrepreneurial journey. Simon, my brother, welcome to The Transition. Thank What's you going on? so much, man. Thanks for having me. I've been so looking forward to this. I know we, we've been trying to, to make this happen and the day has arrived. I'm on your show. I am stoked, buddy. Yeah, it's not really my show. It's our show. It's you know, our I just show. had the privilege of hosting it for the bunker so people feel supported out there. I know that not everyone is in these metropolitan areas, so you can be in the sticks of Montana. You know, you can be down in Texas, but I want people to feel supported. And, uh, you know, you're an inspiration. You've been out there hooking and jabbing, right? I see you all over LinkedIn. You're traveling. You're participating in a bunch of stuff. And what's interesting to me about it is, and don't take this the wrong way, your age, right? Because I see you working you know, harder than I see some 23-year-olds out here. Yeah, man. The deal is, is that, and we talked about this earlier, that I can only experience growth when I'm uncomfortable. And so that means I have to push myself. And then we would talk this back in the military, that there is, there is no rest. You keep plugging, you keep moving forward, you keep pushing hard, and you keep pushing the envelope so that you can be part of that whole change movement. Me and Simon got to break bread at the Milvet Startup Conference. Yeah. We actually met before that at the Military Influencer Conference because I was one of the judges for one of the pitch competitions. And you came back there, and I just remember thinking about your pitch. And it's it's so important, I think, for people to, you know, we always talk about, like, diversity and all these different things. 
But it's more about like people look at a different lens, right? You want people that are looking from multiple lenses, not just the same lens. And as soon as I heard about what you were doing, it instantly clicked to me, you know, because I live in Newark, New Jersey. We have a large Latino population. We have a large underbank population. So everything that you're doing with refund with, like I instantly saw it. Right. But that's what happens when like you have people that understand the demographic that you're targeting versus those that do not. Right. And so that's why I really try to go out of my way to make sure I'm, you know, I don't even like to say having a seat at the table. I like building my own table, right. but building that authority and credibility to be like, hey, you should really think about this or you should think about that or to help entrepreneurs set context. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, part of that whole diversity and inclusion is that having diversity of thought and acceptance of that diversity of thought and then inclusiveness starts with taking action. Yeah, diversity of experiences as well. Yes. So we just jumped in and started chopping it up. Simon, please introduce yourself to our listeners. Tell them everything that you have going on with RefundWiz. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm Dr. Simon Carmarker, founder of RefundWiz. We've developed a DIY Spanish-English tax filing app where we make tax filing as easy as, you ready? Uno, dos, tres. Literally, it's that simple. Uno, you sign up. Dos, you scan your driver's license and tax docs. And tres, you submit your return all from the technology of your phone using artificial intelligence. And so we've removed the obstacles of knowing this language so well that you actually understand what IRS ease is, which is an impossibility for most people. We've removed the, the fear of filing taxes for that immigrant experience. So, you know, politics aside, people come here, including my family, to pursue the American dream. And that first year, when English is not your first language and you're getting ready to file your taxes, man, there is tremendous fear, whether you're from Germany, England, Canada, or Nigeria, or Middle East, wherever you're from. And it's scary because the fear is, is that you're going to make a mistake on a tax form and you're going to get a letter of deportation. And so what most people are doing is that they're, not, they're just like, they're leaving money on the table and they're refusing to file. And that is not a very welcoming way for the hardworking people who are contributing to our economy, right? And so the app really takes away that, that component. What was interesting in our conversation with you was that there's a lot of these people that want to support, they want to pay their taxes, right? But like, you know, it's a non-obvious insight for a lot of people, the barrier for a lot of them to do it. Yeah, absolutely. They want to do the right thing. Look, they want to, part of building and becoming an American is paying your taxes to write a passage, believe it or not. And if you're getting your money back, then get your hard, hard-earned money back. But, you know, I have come across on this journey when this was just a back of a napkin idea as I was interviewing people from not just all age groups, but all different ethnicities and immigrant waves that have come to our country over the last, you know, 30, 40 years. And they're getting $4,000, $3,000, $5,000. One person... I was looking at his, his tax situation, and just this year, they would have received $4,500. And there, it's their money, right? They don't understand how to properly tax plan, so their W-4 isn't correct. And so they're using Uncle Sam as a savings account, and they're taking too much out. And I said, how long have you been? They have a social security number, legit social, legit job. And $4,500, they've been in this country now for almost nine years, and they haven't filed their taxes. 
Crazy. Now, let me ask you this, right? Why haven't some of these other platforms addressed this issue? Because I think of like Intuit and TurboTax, you know? So when we start talking about building products or positioning products in the marketplace, you know, there's this concept called blue ocean strategy. So obviously this looks like a blue ocean, but why is it a blue ocean? So, you know, both of these legacy brands, and I come from H&R Block, so I can really speak to what H&R Block's five-year plan is, which is to move in a different direction where the average tax preparation bill is going to be closer to like $900, right? Nobody's really interested in the very basic tax filing situation, which by the way, almost 80% of Americans file conform to because standard deduction has been raised so high and mortgage rates for so long have been so low that most people don't even meet that threshold of qualifying to use itemized deduction. So these basic, what used to be called 1040 easy returns, nobody even cares about it. And there's a huge blind eye to the largest and fastest growing demographic group in America, which is the Hispanic community. You know, if we take the U.S. Hispanic community and if we were to put them as its own country, they would have the seventh largest GDP in the world. If, it had, if just the U.S. Hispanic population. It's youngest, it's the hardest working, they're very entrepreneurial, they love the side hustles. Man, they bring so much to our economy and, and nobody wants to take a look at that. Let me ask you this, Simon, where are you from? What's your background, your so, family? Yeah, that's a great question. My family is actually from India. And the reason I ask this is I'm big on founder product fit. So like, why are you the one to solve this problem? Why are you the one so bullish about serving this Hispanic community? Yeah, so I was in the army, right? My, I was a linguist. And as a linguist, I speak six languages. And so I was exposed to different ethnic groups and that whole concept of melting pot in America. And when I was with H&R Block, the team that I had, we had the region from Dallas, Fort Worth, San Antonio to Austin. And every day we were turning away customers with Nahabla Español. And then I was talking to my dad. And, you know, he moved, he moved to this country in the, in the 70s and he brought himself and his family. But one thing terrified him, and that was doing taxes. At the same thing, he was afraid of making a mistake and he was afraid that one mistake would lead to deportation. And the look in these customers' eyes that we were turning away at H&R Block was the same look that he had. And I remembered when I was a kid. And then later on, he told me another story. And he said, you know, I had you on my shoulders and we had come from a grocery store and I was peeking into an H&R Block office. And he said to himself, this office is so posh, it's not for us. So clearly there's a low self-esteem issue going on. And that seems to be a recurring theme also amongst the immigrant groups that they're here yet, but they're, they haven't, quote unquote, arrived, if that makes sense. I'm excited about you tackling this issue, though, too, because, and we're going to get into it, you've got quite the background, you know, you've worked a lot of different jobs, I feel like all the North Star has been in this tax preparation space, and so that's why I think you've got the, the right niche for, for this community. Yeah, I mean, I was a tax preparer with H&R Block, and I, and I sat across customers who were, you know, Hispanic, and it was, your Google Translator didn't work, and it's hard to translate financial terms like credits and deductions and what's adjusted gross income 
and how to explain to them that, you know, when this particular couple, when they got back almost $6,000, they were so happy. And I was trying to tell them that that's not a good thing. Getting back that much money means you're using Uncle Sam as a savings account. You can actually increase your weekly payroll in your pocket money if you just make some adjustments to the W-4. And I was struggling to convey that to them. And then I saw that as I started interviewing people from Russia, because I speak Russian, you know, that was a challenge for them. When I started interviewing people from Southeast Asia, Vietnamese, the Filipinos, they all, I mean, we, most Americans don't understand our progressive tax code. Yeah. I'm still trying to figure it out, but I got an accountant on retainer to help me. So you've done quite a few accelerators and incubators. And by all accounts, it looks like you're killing it. But, you know, we like to get vulnerable on this podcast and take off our armor. So what are you struggling with, either personally or professionally, on your own entrepreneurial journey? Yeah, so let me, t- let me talk about the, the professional first, and then the bigger one is the personal one. So professionally, what I'm struggling with is really building up my team. The people that really understand what our mission here is, is to really democratize and offer financial tools to underserved communities. So I'd love to bring on maybe a co-founder, bring on somebody that's a kind of a full stack developer who understands the Hispanic community, somebody that's got social media presence and wants to just evangelize what we're trying to do here and bring the app into the hands of the, of the communities that need this app and can benefit from this app. And obviously, you know, the, the, the venture capital money, the, that whole landscape has changed in the last 18 months. So definitely funding is a component of that. And then on a personal note is, you know, fear, right? The, the fear of not doing enough or am I doing the right things? And so, you know, I always say to myself that I can only be in one of two planes at one time. Either I got to operate from this template of faith where I got to operate from this false template of fear, right? And so as an entrepreneur, we kind of go through these wins and then we, we're on stage and we get the accolades and, and then we're back in our lonely office again and plugging away. And, and so then, you, you know, fear kind of creeps in. Am I doing the right thing? And then we get some affirmations and we keep moving forward. So that's always the, the, the fear versus faith battle always is a challenge. Well, I appreciate you sharing. And I try to tell people, man, entrepreneurship is like one of the most challenging journeys I've ever been on, you know, because just like you said, yeah, people see you on TV. Yeah, they see you at events. But like, where are you living now? In Raleigh, North Carolina. Yeah, you go back to your home in Raleigh. I come back to Newark, New Jersey. And then we're back in the trenches getting after it. Yes. And so there is a lot of mental talk going on in your head. You know, we call it head trash. So I'm big on self-leadership, right? Like, you know, making sure that like we're doing the right things, right? Getting up in the morning, setting our intentions for the day, speaking positives about ourselves. Because the thing is, when you built something from scratch, dude, that is so, it's just crazy. Like people don't understand. It's like writing fiction. You literally have to manifest the future you want for yourself, but you have to show up every day. And it looks like you're, you show up, man. That's why I want to get you on the podcast to tell your story. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, showing up with intention. Right. So waking up with intention that these are the things that I'm going to set forth in motion today or conclude that I started and set in motion a week, a month or a quarter ago. And it is 
being very deliberate in being self-motivated. You got out of the Marine, the army, army in what year? I got out in 97. So in 97, what did the landscape look like for like transitioning vets? Because, you know, I think about what we have between bunker labs and all these VSOs. And then if you're an entrepreneur, you got the PinFed Foundation, you got all this other stuff. But in 97, what was there for you? Man, it was it was tough. My my transition, my separation was very difficult. My personal journey includes the again, you know, we talked about head trash and fear was coming in. I didn't know what I was gonna do. You know, I, I went in because I wanted to serve my country against against the wishes of my parents. And that's like that's not what people from India do. People from India go get their bachelor's, their masters, then get a job and go get married and produce kids and pay for their college and retire. And I'm like, oh, that's not my template. And th right. that's where the friction kind of started. And so, you know, I had separated in order to enlist, I had separated from my family. And then when it was time to separate out, I mean, I was, there was a lot of fear. I, because army was so wonderful and it was very structured. I knew what to do, when to do it and all that. And I got involved in with alcohol, right? And so alcohol became an incredible a force for me and took me took me to a very nasty bottom where you know it involved me being homeless in in Anaheim uh, California and I had to really? hit I had to hit my bottom in in a variety of different ways for me to finally say there's got to be a better way of doing this thing called life thank you for sharing that you know for me it's very different for you know I went to a service academy right got out as an officer and I know in the officer community, there's a lot of opportunities and for enlisted as well. But I know people don't understand who all can be a homeless veteran. Right. You know, so I, I feel like, you know, sometimes people see us where we are now. Right. And they assume that we have this like special privilege or something because we serve. But like there are no guarantees because for all of us that have managed to make some of ourselves on this entrepreneurial journey. Right. We, you and I both know that there are tons of veterans out there that are struggling really hard. Yeah, there are. And, you know, my very first foray into being an entrepreneur was after my own struggles with alcohol. You know, I, I got sober on January 25th, 2003. So just celebrated 20 years. My first foray was starting a drug and alcohol inpatient program in Anaheim, California, because I wanted to carry the message to our community that, look, this is a disease and it, there's a mental health component to it. And I, I, I carried out my mission by obviously it was available for the community at large and I successfully grew that business. But one thing was to bring in a veteran one quarter fully paid psychiatric care, meds, food, counseling, clothing, and, you know, mock interviews and setting them up for success into that full transition and a full, full launch. There should not be a failure to launch like I experienced, right? Post-military. One, one thing I noticed, you said, and this is good for our entrepreneurs too, to make sure y'all taking care of yourselves. When you feel uncomfortable and you start feeling that angst, that uncertainty, that anxiety, you know, you got a spouse pressing you or things aren't going your way. People start looking for escapism. Right. Right. And some people turn to alcohol. Some people turn to drugs. They turn to all this other stuff and everyone is vulnerable to it. And one of the things I learned about it was when I was writing my book, Black Veteran Entrepreneur, Stephen Pressfield, in his book, The War of Art, he talks about it. 
when you're doing really, really hard stuff, it pushes you in this space where it like almost wants you to act out just to escape from the feelings of having to deal with it. Right. Yeah. So people will want to like, you know, you'll procrastinate, you know, just so you don't have to feel with like sitting there and staring at that blank page. So you'll do any and everything. Right. Yeah. And so it's just something to be aware of. And that's why when we're talking about entrepreneurship, I'm always coming from a place of empathy because I want people to understand, like, this is hard stuff. You know, I know what people see on these magazine covers and online, but man, I, I sometimes I wonder if these people are even really entrepreneurs or if they're just selling the wannabe entrepreneur. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. It's actually a quote from, and I, you probably know this guy, Ray Antonino. And, you know, Ray, if you look at his LinkedIn profile, it says, you know, 10-year overnight success. <laughs> right? Aren't we all? Yeah. And so it, it takes, you know, procrastination can become our, our pacifier, right? It's like, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll get to it later. And then the head starts playing games like, you know, if I have a couple of glasses of wine, that's when I can get really creative and then I can really crank out that blog post or really get on to whatever I want to tackle. And that procrastination, man, it just sets in where one glass becomes four and then four becomes eight and then you pass out and then you start having a resentment against yourself. And it just becomes this, this incredible vortex of emotions that prevents you from moving forward. Now, you went from being a homeless veteran, right? right? Getting yourself back together. And I'm also willing to bet when you transition out, you didn't have this support community like you have now with the bunker. And like, Lee, we literally broke bread together, right? We gave grace. It was amazing. Indeed. How does it feel to have this community at the bunker and the broader entrepreneurial, the broader veteran entrepreneur and military spouse community as a whole? It is fantastic. So much so that, you know, I, I always... My goal always is to build organizations where purpose meets profit. And if you notice, I said purpose first. And so even like with Bunker Labs, like I immediately I was a, I offered my services and I said, I want to be a part of this. And so last cohort, I was a captain. This upcoming cohort, I'm looking to be an ambassador. Um, I'm part of the Disabled American Veterans Program, and I'm going to be a mentor for their upcoming cohort in, in Utah. And so it's really important for my well-being to be able to offer my services, my experiences, and, you know, the hope that I can to new veteran entrepreneurs or, you know, veteran entrepreneurs who might feel that they're stuck and they just want someone to talk to. Now, you've done multiple incubator and accelerator programs. I had a chance to introduce you to, is it Scott Davidson? From the PinFed Foundation? Yeah, Scott Davis. I'm actually, I got accepted to the to that master's program. I'm in it now. Amazing. Congratulations. Talk to us about some of the programs you've done. Yeah. So I started off with Founders Institute, which is a phenomenal program, and they have a unique veterans track as well. And then I also went through Founders University, which is brand new at the time by Jason Calacanis, a very well-known investor, angel investor. And then that led Founders Institute introduced me to Bunker Labs. So then I did, I did the Bunker Labs cohort last year. And then through Mike, I was introduced to the PenFed Foundation when we were at Context Ventures in San Francisco. And I applied to their program and was accepted. And I get a big shout out to Scott Davis for considering our application. And on June 1st, we have Demo Day where we'll actually, you know, meet with investors and, you know, want to come up. With a win there with an investment and so preparing for that. 
What else have I done? Disabled Army or Disabled American Veterans, DAV, has a Patriot Boot Camp. That was a, a fantastic three-day program. And these are all basically are there to poke holes in the current model so that I can make it stronger. Of all the ones you've participated in, which one do you feel has prepared you the best or tightened you up? You know, I would, I would definitely say there's two. The very first one was Founders Institute. Shout out to Mike Sherbakoff. That's with, you know, yeah. With, they're amazing. Yeah, I'm absolutely. Ryan McElhenney is the... Is, yeah, that's right. And then Mike Sherbakoff. And if you're an early stage you know, founder right now, that would be the one that I would go to. And then complete that program and kind of take what you've learned from there. They have an adjunct program called Founder Lab. So get into that as well. I completed both of those. And I think the right place for me right now was the Penn Fed Foundation because they have found some, you know, glaring opportunities for me to really button up what Reap and Wiz is all about from that legal lens, from that financial lens, right? There's so many lenses, our go-to-market strategy lens, team building lens, traction lens. So all of these Penn Fed Foundation has been very, we're doing a, an incredible deep dive in all of this. So what does the landscape look like for venture currently? You know, you got Silicon Bank, Silicon Valley Bank down for the count. I just looked at something today, First Republic down for the count. So it's a very challenging fundraising environment. And so how are they advising you all to navigate that? Yeah. So ideally, you want to grow without funding. That's like the best way to grow. Let your customers be your source of funds. When that happens, then you don't need to really worry about it because it's almost like when I graduated from college and they said, well, you need experience. And I'm like, well, how can I get experience unless you give me a job? Well, we can't give you a job because you don't have experience. VCs, venture capitalists are the same way. We need, you need to show us traction. Well, how can I get traction if I don't have the money? And so you kind of are kind of in that similar catch-22 cycle. So what I would recommend is, you know, do your level best to grow with customers and use that money to continue your, your building your organization. And if you are reaching out, you know, make sure you have given yourself a sufficient runway. So until this, this current financial climate can change, and from what I'm hearing, it's going to be around the third quarter of 2024 is when, oh, uh, wow. yeah, it's, 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 uh, we have a long way to go, you know, damage, just like in, in, in addiction or alcoholism, right? Damage doesn't happen overnight. Right. It's, it's been it's, coming it's, for a while. It, it's, it's been coming for a while. And so reconstruction also takes time, right? As, as, as the destruction. So it's going to take a while and just keep plugging away at that, at what that end prize is. And don't let a lot of the noise come in, but keep building your, the, the company resume with having the right people and, and attending the right conferences for building out your network. And going through these accelerators and incubators, so you have ongoing validation that you're on the right path. So you, it's interesting that you mentioned Founder Institute and the PenFed Foundation's master's program, because I actually thought you were going to talk about Jason Kalkanis' program, because I know he's a straight shooter, right? And he's done this 10 times over. So 
Talk to us about what it was like going through that program as well. Yeah. So Jason Calacanis started the launch program, and that I believe is a 14-day program. And they are really fantastic. It's a, it's a global cohort. And that's the beauty of it. And at the end of it, Jason Calacanis and his team, they choose, I believe, three or four early stage founders to systemically invest in. And I was I had the fortune of being able to pitch to Jason and he came on board as an early investor with RefundWiz. So that was huge validation for us. And they really will help if you don't have a tech background, right? So in my case, I know tax code, I know tax law. I took some classes on Udemy to learn how to code. And I basically write the algorithm, the pseudocode, and then hand that off to the DevOps team. But now there are so many cool tools out there that you don't even need to know coding. You can actually build an app without a code. And so that program introduced me to how to build an app and how to build modules without coding. And they bring in a lot of subject matter experts that are part of the kind of the Silicon Valley area ecosystem and expose the early founders, early stage founders to some really cool technologies. For our listeners that may not be familiar with Jason Kalkanis, he is one of the early investors, I think in Uber and Airbnb also. Airbnb, I mean, he has had a string of 100x return type of investments. I mean, he's very shrewd. He He sees the potential of what this could become 10 years out today. Yeah, he's invested and started multiple ventures, right? I think he bootstrapped his first one to like million dollar exit and then sold it and then started another one and then done it and then started getting invested in and stuff. So he's a real deal. He's a real so what deal. I'm saying is, you know, a lot of times as entrepreneurs, right, we think we're ready for the big leagues and then you're in that hot seat and like, what did you take away from him? Was it I mean, you must have won him over for him to make an investment. I did, yeah. My, the the biggest takeaway from him was that nothing beats hard work. You, you've got to be ready to take the hits on the chin and keep moving away, be ready to pivot. That pivot is not a bad thing. That means you just identified how to make your product or your service better. You thought it was this thing. But then through your learnings and experiences, you remolded and now you're offering it this way. And so that's, and that's perfectly okay to make that pivot when it's a strategic move. Where does RefundWiz stand currently in terms of, you know, how are you guys doing from a financial and fundraising perspective? Yeah. So, so far through the angel round and we've had, like I said, Jason Calacanis, Loyal VC has funded with us. We've had some other well-known angel investors come in. We've raised 165000 This coming Thursday, I'm going to be part of the DAV version of Shark Tank. And that's going to be our, our, our main investor for that is going to be celebrity chef Robert Irvine from the Food Network, Restaurant Impossible. So I'm going to be pitching to him on Thursday. And then we have the big demo day coming up with Penn Fed Foundation's investor, investor Day on the 1st of June. So we've raised 165K. I'm looking to raise another $750,000, and that'll give us that ramp that we need all the way to January, December 2024. And for somebody without a tech background, the fact you've raised over $165,000, you've been doing the pitch decks, right? You've had to learn the legal structure. Like, man, I'm super impressed. And I feel like, you know, you've got a lot of lessons that you can share with our listeners because it can feel overwhelming. You know, convertible notes, you know, how much equity, yada, yada, yada. Like 
you and you just learn this stuff through those incubators accelerators you you the exposure comes through incubators accelerators and then you know networking with other founders and i i i was very real with myself in that i made a list of things i know i'm not good at and instead of leaning into i know what i am good at i leaned into things that i am not good at so that i could make myself a more versatile 360 type of a entrepreneur founder because the very first venture was a brick and mortar type of a thing this is my first SaaS, right? Software as a service model that has tremendous potential of being a unicorn, assuming everything is executed, you know, spot on, right? This has a potential of being a unicorn type of a company. And so I had to shore up my weaknesses and I continue to work on that on a, on a regular basis. So your network, and when I mean your network, your friends and family, those closest to you, Right? How do they feel about you being this tech entrepreneur? Yeah, they couldn't. They couldn't believe it because I I was coming from a healthcare background, and they're like, "You're doing what?" I mean, first of all, nobody from my family invested in me just because of the other stuff that I told you about joining the army and then the the stuff with alcoholism and stuff like that. But my friends were absolutely stunned. And when I went to my initial network, which were a considerable amount of physicians, because they knew me from the days of having that drug and alcohol rehab center, they're like, dude, why don't you start something in healthcare? We'll write you a check right now, but we have no idea what tax is all about. We got a CPA that does that. So that's really not our safe space to invest, right? So then I had to expand my network and learn about SaaS, FinTech. And I, I, again, it, I got so uncomfortable that I had to stay up late at night just to continue to evolve and bring about a better version of me. And as you look towards the future, right, what's that big BHAG, that big, hairy, audacious goal that you're chasing for, both on the personal side and with Refund Wiz? On the personal side, I want to finish a book that I started called The Theory of You and Self-Growth, right? And so basically the concept is, is that it's like the letter U I came down that stem of you until I hit my bottom and now I'm going up that stem of you. And that letter U, if you notice, doesn't have, it's, it's infinite. It just keeps going up, right? And so what does that look like? So I really want to complete that book on the theory of you. And on a personal note, I would love to ring the bell at NASDAQ with Refund Wiz. So we've got veteran entrepreneurs and military spouses tuning in from all over the country, all over the world. You've given us your time today by sharing your story. Let us know how we can help you accomplish that BHAG, both on the personal and professional side. Yeah, absolutely. By all means, reach out to me. My, I'm sure Mike will share my uh, email address, but it's simon at refundwiz.com. If there's anything I can do to answer your questions, if you have comments, suggestions, send them in. Always open to getting feedback and ideas of how to evolve and really looking for that network that can help the organization grow, evangelize our mission of democratizing financial tools to underserved communities. And that's the, that's the big vision behind what Reap and Wiz is all about. So again, Simon at reapandwiz.com, go to our app is actually called Mas Refund, which Mas in Spanish means more. So kind of use that Spanglish lens to it. So go to www.mossrefund.com and download our app. 
play with it and give us feedback so we can offer a better product and help the community grow. Well, I'll be sure to include a link in our show notes. Simon, it's been a pleasure having you on today. For all our listeners, do me a favor and go ahead and subscribe to the Transition Newsletter at the link in the show notes. If there's a topic you'd like me to cover on the show or in the newsletter, shoot me an email at mike.stedman at barkerlabs.org or message me directly on LinkedIn at Iron Mike Stedman. Until next time, peace, love. Have a great rest of your week.